Because I, honestly, guys, I feel like I have a word from the Lord for a number of people here on this Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and uh, here with us. Uh, Mother's Day is one of the most celebrated um, holidays in our country, 86% of the population actively celebrated. According to the National Retail Federation, Mother's Day spending uh, hit a near-record level last year of $23.1 billion. Billion, with a B. And so for many, this is a day to celebrate and people are happy and smiles and everything. But I also know that for a lot of people, this is a hard day. For some of you, this is a very hard day because of the absence or the loss of a mother or a child or or, or those wanting to be a mom and it hasn't happened yet, or, or those estranged from your mom or, or from your children, or maybe you're experiencing some real difficult trouble with your children, or maybe you're post-abortive, like Angela mentioned. There could be any of a number of reasons why today is a tough day. And so as I've thought about what do moms need to hear and the rest of us need to hear on this very important day, it occurs to me that you really don't need to hear what I think. You need to hear what Jesus thinks. I'm not a huge fan of devotional books, but one of my favorite devotional books is called Jesus Calling, and it's written by Sarah Young, and the whole idea is that peace is found in the presence of God. And so she writes the devotional as if Jesus were speaking directly to you. And as I was reading it this week, I had the question, what would Jesus say to moms and the rest of us if he were in the pulpit today? I mean, after all, that's what preaching is, right? It's saying what God says proclaiming what God has done. Preaching is not me giving you my opinion. It's not me trying to be humorous. It's not even me trying to get amen, although I appreciate it when you say amen. It's not me trying to sound articulate or educated or lucid. It is me saying what God says, proclaiming what God has done. And so if Jesus were here this morning and he was in the pulpit, what would he say to moms and the rest of us? I think there's a few things he would say. Number one, I think Jesus would say, you're saved by grace, not your kid's performance. When I was in college, we we used to have a thing we used to say, hey man, I'm saved by grace, not by grades. (laughs) Now, I used to say that when I got a bad grade. You know, when I got an A, I didn't say that. But when I got a bad grade or a lower grade, hey, saved by grace, not by grades. And and part of that was a cop-out, but part of it was a reminder that grades do not save us. Grades don't give us our value. Grades don't give us our identity. The reason for my existence is not to get an A. And I think if Jesus were here this morning, he would remind you that your value, your identity, your success as a mom or anything else for that matter, doesn't come from how well your kids perform. It comes from who Jesus has made you to be. It comes from grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Not by works. Your works or your kids' works. So that nobody can boast. No one can boast. See, no one gets to boast here this morning. Not me, not you, not anybody. Because we didn't make ourselves. We didn't save ourselves. And our identity doesn't come from our kids' behavior. With all due respect, I'm preaching better than you're amening. (laughs) Romans 3 verse 20 says, No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Paul's pretty clear here. Not a few people, not four or five people here are going to get in because you're so good at being a mom or a dad. Nobody is going to be 
declared righteous by observing the law for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and finish the sentence are justified freely. How? By his grace. Through the redemption that came from Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter put it this way. Because Peter, you know, he made a lot, I love Peter because he made a lot of mistakes, right? He's good for a lot of us. I appreciate Peter. And, and, and he, was, he was so into God's grace. You know what he said? He just said in 1 Peter 5.10, he even called God. He said, he's the God of all grace. It's all grace. So I think the first thing that would come across if Jesus was speaking right now, it wouldn't be condemnation. It would be grace of who we are in him, our identity in Christ. And I know... For some of you, you're wrestling with where your kids are right now. Maybe they're not doing well. Maybe they're a prodigal. Maybe they're away from the Lord. And maybe you're feeling all sorts of stuff right now, like this warfare, these storms on the inside of you, shame or anger or sadness or whatever. Um, I just want to remind you that there are no perfect parents. The, The only person in this room that's a perfect parent is the dude who's not a parent. I know you think you know how to do this. <laughs> See, this is, you know why God makes his parents? Because he knows it's going to humble us. You can only be arrogant for so long as a parent. You know what? It's not for the faint of heart. And God does not condemn us. Listen, you guys, to put your identity in your kids' performance is to place them in the position of God. Not only is that idolatry, and I could talk about that all day long, but it's way too much pressure on them. They ain't God. They're going to make mistakes just like you did. Let me rephrase that. Just like you do. And so your identity can't be tied to their performance. So I think if Jesus were here, he'd say, listen, you're saved by grace, not your kid's performance. And then the second thing I think he would say is, your kids are saved by grace, not your performance. See, just like you're saved by grace, so are your kids. And even if you're an almost perfect mom or dad, that'll never save them. They're not going to get to heaven because you're so great. (laughs) They need a relationship with Jesus. That's why our job as parents is to lead our kids to Jesus. Abraham Piper is the son of John Piper, famous pastor. You may have heard of him before. I've quoted him, I don't know, once or twice. At 19 years old, Abraham Piper walked away from the faith. He left the faith, said, I don't want any of this Jesus stuff anymore. And in his words, and I quote, I just wanted to drink gallons of cheap sangria and sleep around. And that's what he did. His parents were devastated, heartbroken. But praise God. As we heard earlier, God is faithful and he came back to the Lord. He repented. His family welcomed him in to their home again. And here's what he said. Listen to this. This is what he says to, to parents who, whose, whose kids are, are, are away from the Lord. He says, and I quote, if your son is not a Christian, he won't act like one. See, sometimes part of the problem is we're, we're wanting our kids to act like Christians and they're not. And here's what he says. And it's hypocrisy if he does. His most dangerous problem is unbelief, not partying. Your rebellious child's real problem is not drugs or sex or cigarettes or porn or laziness or crime or cussing or homosexuality or being in a punk band. 
The real problem is that your child doesn't see Jesus clearly. When they see Jesus clearly, Jesus will replace the money or the praise of man or the high. Only his grace can draw them from their perilous pursuits and bind them safely to him. The most important thing that you can do for your kids is give them a picture of Jesus. Just let them see Jesus. And and, and for them to do that, you have to let grace in. You have to let grace in for you. And for them, I, I know we love our kids so much. We want, we, we like, we want to save them ourselves. You, you know, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't a father, but he had a father's heart. When in, in Romans 9, verse 3, he said, I could, he said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. And I could wish myself accursed so that the nation of Israel could be in the kingdom. They could know Jesus. And what he's saying is, I love them so much, I would die for my people. And that's how every parent in this room is. Every single one of us. If you've been a parent for very long at all and your child has been suffering, I know that you've had this thought, God, let me take their pain and, and, and set them free. Let me, let, me, let me experience it. Let me be sick. Let me, whatever it is, so that they, we all, we want to take it off our kids and we can't. Because our kids are saved by grace. Not by our performance. I think if Jesus were here, he would say, number three, though you may feel invisible, I see you. See, I know there's a lot of moms out there who, who, who feel invisible. They feel unseen. Does anybody even see what I'm doing here? Do you know what I'm carrying? Do you know what I'm going through? And before you even get to the, does anybody care? You wonder, does anybody even see? And I think Jesus would tell all the moms and all the rest of us, I see you. I see you. There's a story in the Old Testament of a, of a lady. She was a mom. Her name was Hagar. And Hagar was an immigrant from Egypt. Okay, so she has no sense of belonging with the people of God. She's an outsider. She's running away from a place where her body has just been used. Okay, she, she's been used and abused. And she's running away. And she runs into the angel. And th- actually, the text of Scripture says, The angel of the Lord found her near a spring in the desert. Because even when you're running away, God can find you. Even if it's a desert. And the angel of the Lord found her. And he asked the question. Hagar, where are you coming from and where are you going? And she says, I'm running away. Because that's a natural reaction, isn't it? Uh, we all want to run away. <laughs> I wanna, you know, when I have a problem, I want to run away. It's, it's a natural reaction, a natural response to problems. But the angel of the Lord says, stop running away. Go back. And he prophesies about her son who's going to be born named Ishmael. And then there's this unbelievable verse, this amazing verse. Genesis 16, verse 13 says this. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She calls God El Roy. It means the God who sees me. I I find this fascinating. Get this now. Hagar the abused. Hagar the immigrant. Hagar the misunderstood. Hagar the seemingly insignificant in the story is actually very significant. Because Hagar has the longest conversation with God of any woman and almost any man in the entire Old Testament. I want you to let that, have you ever noticed this? I want you to let this in for a second. Hagar, the runaway Egyptian maid, 
is the only person in the Bible who gives God a name. I mean, up to this point, God's given himself names. He says, I'm Elohim, the all-creative one. I'm Yahweh or Y-H-W-H. I am the I am, the covenant God. I'm El Shaddai. I'm God Almighty. And those are majestic names. They're powerful names. They're transcendent names. But here, Hagar calls him, you are the God who sees me. Not only is he all-powerful and all-creative and all-knowing and transcendent, he is also imminent. He is right here, right now, the God who sees me. And you may feel like nobody sees you, but I'm here to tell you, God sees you. And you may feel alone. You may be in a room with 500 people right now, and you feel alone, and I'm here to tell you, you are not alone. God is with you. Hebrews 13, verse 5, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The psalmist said this in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? I mean, basically saying, look, if I'm going to be like Hagar and run away, where am I going to run to? If I go up to heavens, you're there. If I make my my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me. You can't even get away from God. If I say, verse 11, surely the darkness will hide me. And the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You know what? I I have a sense there's people here today who maybe feel like you're in a dark place. Maybe even some moms, maybe that's moms. Maybe a lot of us feel like we're in a a dark place and, and today is hard. You need to know God sees He is the God who sees me. And if Jesus were here right now, I think he would remind you, he is the God who sees. He is the God who is with you. Number four, I think Jesus would say, and some of you are thinking, Jesus would say more than three things? I think he might. (laughs) number, Number four, otherwise known as bonus point number one. I think Jesus would say this. There are a lot of voices out there. Listen to mine. There are a lot of voices in our world that are screaming for your attention. They're trying to tell you who you are. You know, Charlie Chaplin, I read this as a story, and I don't know if this is apocryphal, but I heard this, that Charlie Chaplin actually once came in third place in a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest. Here's, you know how that is? Because the world will always try to tell you who you should be and what you should look like. There's voices out there who say, you need to do this, look like this, wear this, eat this, go here, go there. Don't listen to them. And I think if Jesus would see, we're here, he would say, listen to my voice. He said, John chapter 8, verse 47, Jesus said, he who belongs to God, hears what God says. You belong to God. You can hear what he says. One time, Marlene and I, years ago, when we lived in Central Asia, we were living in Tajikistan, and, and in Tajikistan, they speak Tajik and, and a lot of Russian. And, 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 you know, you're walking down the, like a market. We're walking down a market one day, uh, and I don't even know if you remember this, but we're walking down in this market, and there's voices everywhere. You know, and it's Russian and, and Tajik and all this. And all of a sudden, we hear somebody speaking English, and it was like, 
you know, instantly we just focus. Why? Because we belong to England. That's our mother tongue. There were all kinds of voices, but when we heard our mother tongue, we could hear that through the voices. And Jesus is saying, if you belong to God, his language is your native tongue. You can hear him through a crowd. He said this in John 10, just a couple chapters later, verse 5, he's comparing himself to a shepherd. He says, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Did you know that there's some voices that you need to be running away from? Did, did you hear that, that verse 5 there? There's some voices that are speaking to you, maybe even this morning, that you need to run away from. Like condemning voices. Reminding of your failures. You did this, you did this. Or maybe accusing voices saying, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not rich enough. You're not whatever. Run away from that voice. There's bitter voices. There's unforgiving voices. There's negative voices. There's Hopeless voices. And when you hear those voices, you need to turn from that voice and go to the voice of your good shepherd. How do you, how do you know? How do you know? Is, is, you may be thinking, okay, well, okay, there's a lot of voices out there. How do I know which one is the, is, is the, is the good shepherd? Well, does it sound like him? It, you know, you ever had somebody... Who said, oh, I was with this other person, and he said, and you go, yeah, sounds like them. You know? That happens to me frequently. With some of y'all. <laughs> yep, that sounds like them. Does it sound like his voice? You say, well, what's his voice sound like? It sounds like this. Isaiah 54, verse 10. Though the mountains be shaken, and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed. That's what your good shepherd sounds like. He sounds like this, Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Listen, if you're listening to a voice that is making you hopeless, that's not the shepherd's voice. The shepherd's voice is full of hope. The shepherd's voice wants a good future for you. And if this voice is speaking to you, condemning you, accusing you, telling you you don't have a future, that's not Jesus' voice. Listen, he says, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me. And you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Maybe you feel like you're held captive this morning. Well, if the voice is speaking to you saying, this is just who you are. You're a slave. You're captive. This is who you are. There's nothing you can do. That's not the shepherd's voice. Here's what our shepherd sounds like. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Any voice that says you're going to lose his love, that's not the shepherd's voice. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt. And listen to the last phrase. And you will go out to dance with the joyful. That's the shepherd's voice. John 10, 10. Here's Jesus. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. 
peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. How about this one? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's our shepherd. So if you're listening to a voice that doesn't sound like that, I think Jesus would remind you, a lot of voices out there, listen to me. Listen to mine. And finally, and quickly, I think if Jesus were here this morning, he would say to moms and the rest of us, your calling matters. And I think moms in general know they're important and they matter. And if you ask them, I think if I gave out a theological, biblical test this morning, we would do moms matter. I think everybody would say yes. And if you're not a mom and you wouldn't put yes, you are in big trouble. Okay. Um, and And I think you know that. But I think all these voices are constantly going. And as I think Jesus would remind you that what you do matters. It, it deeply affects your family and even others that you can't see at this very moment. Mary Thomas was her name. She was a single mom of nine children. That right there, I have respect. How many other nine children as a single mother? That I respect right there. But she was raising them in Chicago's West Side neighborhood. Seven of her nine kids were boys, full of energy and spunk and stretching the boundary of their tired mother's authority and patience. Well, one day, it was 1966, Mary opened the front door of her house to find 25 street gang members. They were members of the notorious Vice Lords gang, 25 of them, and they had come to recruit her seven sons to be in their gang. And they told her, we're here to collect your sons to be in our gang. And Mary, hearing their intentions, she dropped her gaze and kind of said, oh, okay, hold on just a second. And she closed the door. When the door reopened, the members of the Vice Lord gang found themselves looking down the barrel of a loaded shotgun. She did the pump action. She said, there's only one gang around here, and it's the Thomas gang. And she threatened to murder them. You know what happened? All nine of her kids graduated from school. And you may have heard of her youngest son, NBA Hall of Famer Isaiah Thomas. What she did mattered. Now, I'm not suggesting, you know, that all the moms go out and buy shotguns. Though that could be fun. That could be fun. Here is what I'm saying. What you do matters. What you do matters. It deeply affects your family. It affects generations to come. Marlene and I have been talking about this lately. What we do now, what we decide now, affects not only us right now, not only our kids, but it affects our gen- the generations. Our decisions affect generations. And you might say, what? But, but Tim, you don't understand. I've made some bad decisions. Okay, I get it. Me too. Make the next right decision. And that next right decision will affect generations. It'll affect generations. 
Let's try to illustrate that. Back in the 19th century, middle of the 19th century, there was a little lady who went to a Brush Arbor revival meeting. Everyone in her family were unbelievers, everybody. I mean, and they weren't even good unbelievers. They were like, I mean, I don't know what, that, what I mean by that, but it's just like they were in trouble. <laughs> Criminals, horse thieves, bank robbers. And she goes to this Brush Arbor meeting, and she is born again. She gets saved. She follows Jesus. And she decides that all of her children are going to follow Jesus. So you know what she does? She prays every night for them, calls them out by name every night. And she had a little boy named Joe. And Joe grew up, and he married a lady named Mary. And they used to pray every night for their children together. But Joe died at the age of 37. And they had five kids. The oldest was 12. The youngest was six months old. And this was in 1904 when they didn't have welfare. And everybody in the county said, it's the worst thing ever happened in this county. She's going to lose her kids. She's going to have to farm them out. But you know what Mary did? Mary prayed for her kids every single night. Every night, no matter how cold it was, she would go out onto her back porch and she'd cry out to God and she'd name off all five of her kids. One of her kids was a boy, the fourth one actually, and his name was Jim. And he was four years old when, he dad, when his dad died. And he used to wake up at night hearing his mom say, Jim. And he would hear Jim, and he would wake up. And he thought his mom was calling him, but his mom wasn't calling him. His mom was just calling out his name to God. And Jim had eight children. And he used to pray for his kids every night. And he would call them out by name every single night to God. And of those eight kids, the youngest one's name was Carol. And he grew up and he got married to a lady named Debbie and they were following hard after God and every night they would call out together for their children, Tim and Paul, that they would follow after God. And Tim and Paul were extraordinary sons. (laughs) Extraordinary. Really, I mean, just... Ruggedly handsome and (laughs) highly intelligent. And then I'll tell you what happened. Tim totally married out of his league, way over his head. Way over his head. To a woman named Marlene. And to this day, every morning, usually over a cup of coffee, and on most nights, you know what they do? They cry out to God for their sons. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, that Nathaniel and Graham and Elijah and Aiden would know you and follow you. Jesus, they need you. It started 150 years ago with a little lady who said, I haven't made very good decisions. I don't have a godly heritage but my descendants will have a godly heritage. And that can happen in any family. Any family. And if you're thinking right now, you don't don't understand my family. That's impossible with my family. Then I want to tell you one more story. My last story, unless I think of another one. This is the last story (laughs) of the most famous mom of all time. Her name was Mary. Now, sadly, because of the doctrine of Mary in the Roman Catholic Church, a lot of us Protestants, we shy away from honoring Mary. But I want you to think about it this way. In the course of history, there have been a lot of apostles, a lot of prophets, a lot of evangelists, pastors are dime a dozen, a lot of teachers, one mother of Jesus. One. 
Now, she didn't know she was going to be the most famous mom of all time. She was just a little girl when the angel appeared to her. And the angel Gabriel comes to her and he prophesies about Jesus that his reign will never end. And then Mary asks what I consider to be a pretty reasonable question. She says, "Um, how can this be since I am a virgin? I think this is a good question. And a lot of times we ask good questions, don't we? God, how can this happen? How can this happen? Okay, God, you're saying this can happen, but I I can't see how it can happen. And here's what the angel of the Lord said. I wonder if Jesus might not be saying this to you. Luke 1, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For nothing is impossible with God. How's this going to happen, God? We're in the middle of this problem, this situation. How's it going to happen? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. In your family, nothing is impossible with God. In your marriage, nothing is impossible with God. In your children, nothing is impossible with God. In your church, in this nation, nothing is impossible with God. And we have to believe that. And then believing that, we have to do the next thing, which is entrust ourselves to him. That's what Mary did. Look at verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And we are invited into that kind of surrender. You know, we like to control things, don't we? Tell the truth. You know, for the most part, control is an illusion. And God invites us to surrender our need to control and trust him. You know what's interesting to me? That Jesus himself entered this kind of surrender. I mean, this story of of Mary, the, the, the most famous mother of all time, this is at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, but if you go to the end of the Gospel of Luke, you find Jesus in a garden saying to his father, take this cup, but not my will, yours. Be done. And, and Jesus surrendered to the Father. And Jesus' surrender to the will of the Father changed all of history. Indeed, if I'm reading the New Testament correctly, and I think I am, it's going to change the entire universe. Now, your surrender to the Father won't be quite that far-reaching. But it will change you. And that will change your family. And that will change this church. And that will affect generations. And that will affect the world. Surrender to the Father. And I think if Jesus were here, I think he would say that to us.